I think it's a conversation we're all going to have. We're going to be standing around as Christians in the commons of the church. We're going to be in the hallways and in the fellowship hall, in the middle of our living rooms and over our dinner tables, having the discussion on technology. Over coffee? Over coffee, (laughs) at Starbucks, whatever, in the virtual world. But I think it's going to be, there's going to come a point in time, for example, where you'll be sitting with, standing or whatever with your kids, and you're going to have the discussion about VR. Yeah. You're absolutely going to. You're going to sit here and go, wait a minute, but do I really want this level of intrusive technology in my home? And then your kids are going to come right back with, what's wrong with it? And boy, let me just say that this is such a crucial point of reflection for Christians because we have to say no to a lot of things that are coming. Get ready, friends, for slander, accusations, and character anesthetation. (laughs) What are you saying? (laughs) Assassination. See, it already began. Shenanigans and chicanery to be launched at this extraordinarily humble Arab cherub. But here is a true comment. That's really dumb. From a listener. See, it's already started. How many of these comments do you make up? You lost me at humble. Listen. Guys, Easy has the voice of a choir. His impressions are beautiful and spot on. His New Zealand accent is so accurate that I thought he was playing an audio recording of a New Zealander Who before this realizing in? it was just Easy. Mr. D. Sign Legion. No, yeah, it's, I was just going to say that. Uh, Rachel Mr. Z. Mr. 316. This is real. See, friends? I told you. It's signed Mr. D. E. Ville. Chicanery and shenanigans. <laughs> it doesn't help that you beg for people to mention I, I have to agree comments. with Oscar. On I that. never do that. You always do because you only read the comments where people comment about you. Well, people know true genius, humility, and brilliant voicedness. Speaking of genius, did you see Ray's film Genius with John Lennon? Oh yeah. We were oh, talking about it last night. You know, it has you uh, plugging Mark? like one, like one and a half million views on YouTube. It's still really good. It deals Ray, with true what, false conversion. What, why, Ray? This is what I want to know. How do these things come to your mind? Like you see something on TV with the Beatles? No, no. Everyone keeps coming up to me and saying, you're the 180 guy, and I did genius, so people would come up and say, you're the genius guy. And it <laughs> Has just, it worked? No, it didn't happen. <laughs> didn't stick, huh? Uh, well, friends, listen. Oh, wait, I was going to say something else. No, I'm not. But your memory, memory improving? We have a friends, guest listen, here. We have a guest listen, here playing friends, Angry Birds. You may be saying to yourself, wow, this is the first time I have ever ever smelled a very sweet and fragrant aroma while listening to the Living Waters podcast. No, it's not La Victoria. No, it's not Pace Picante Sauce. It is the world's best magical salsa made by the most magical man, Emilio Ramos. Emilio, do you still make salsa? (laughs) All the time. I don't buy it in a can like you. I don't. Well, I, if I'm desperate, I'll do it. But your uh, son makes good salsa. And I don't my eat son Tex-Mex. Makes, I think, did my son get his salsa Even though I from moved you? to Texas, I don't eat Tex-Mex because it's not real Mexican food. Friends, our guest <clears> today, <throat> Emilio Ramos, is the best salsa maker on the face <laughs> of It might be a little too spicy. You've never met my If nana. nothing else, that's the purpose I'll serve in the kingdom. Oh, Emilio. <laughs> now, Emilio, for those of you that don't know, Emilio Ramos, we go way back. I'm trying to remember, Emilio, 20... 15? 2015? <laughs> 25 years? I mean, it's been a long time. Yeah, you oh, yeah. did time together, yeah. remember? Yeah. Oh, we did time yeah. together. 
Yeah, yeah. Nineteen ninety-seven is when you and I met. Was it ninety seven? Ninety seven, and then we went to a, a mutual friend's wedding together. Oh, it was that's Chris right. Rears. Yeah, Chris Rears. That was like Big ninety. Bear. That was like early ninety eight. That's the time I remember meeting you. Yeah. And that's when you told me, "Dude, you got to come to my church, man." <laughs> that's a great story, guys. Were you telling boring stories back then too? <laughs> <laughs> Super boring stories. Yeah, but then uh, yeah, and then we ended up connecting. You ended up becoming a part of the school ministry where Mark and I pastored, uh-huh. and you did some cooking, and that's where uh, the salsa comes in. That's Right. What year were you the school administrator? Did we uh, live 2000, together? 2000, 2001, 2000, 2001. Okay. So I don't think we ever were roommates. No, thankfully. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'd love to Goodness, see that Goodness, no way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Pro- if we were roommates, we definitely wouldn't be sitting next to each other at this oh, point. Yeah. <laughs> True that. But so much uh, has happened since then, Emilio. Ah. Pastor Emilio, should Ooh. I say. Tell us about your life, man. Mexico. Oh, boy. Yeah, to busy. Texas. To yeah. Mm-hmm. Texas is great. It's somewhat sane, unlike California. Hmm. So, I don't know, this man. is going to be I a total California bagging session. No, we just there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oscar is like, home. I don't know. <laughs> but you were in Dallas, to be clear. I'm kind of north Dallas, the suburbs. It's kind of nicer there, you know? Yeah, no, we're pastoring a church in Texas. This is actually my second church, and it's really cool. We just hit our 10-year anniversary. What's and, the name uh, of your church? I don't know. I just <laughs> okay. I just find one every Sunday to go to. Right. I pick random churches and I walk in. in. I King- declare myself the pastor and yeah. I start preaching. So it was like Kingdom Hall. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the Ward Heritage Grace Ward. Grace. Yeah, Heritage Grace Community Church in Frisco, Texas. Just about oh, I don't know about maybe thirty minutes north north of Dallas. How long you've been pastoring there now at Heritage? Ten year. That's anniversary. a long sermon. Yeah, we, is uh, it 10 years? 10 years? 10 year anniversary. And then I pastored in oh. Fort Worth for about six years. So it's been a while in Texas. And uh, I do like Texas. I am there for the because of the call of God. Yeah. Uh, definitely not the weather. That's why I'm here in California. I like the weather here. Paradise, but, brother. Yeah, Welcome absolutely. Back. I don't like the $6 a gallon for gas, but... You know what intrigues me, Emilio, is your accent hasn't changed. That's right. I've been, I've been waiting it's for still it. Italian. Hey, it's still Italian. It's still Italian. Italian with a Swedish-Romanian <laughs> twist. Hey, Oscar wore some boots in your honor Yes, today. I did. Well, we oh, had dude, a te- look at we had, that. We had a Texan coming Man. in, so I put my Texas boots it on. It rubbed off. Did I have never worn boots. It rubbed off. I've never worn boots either. Never wear boots. Never say never, easy. Yeah. I said I'll never. Are you still wearing your boots that you vowed to always wear? Yeah, no, you made me qualify that. I saved your life. You did. There's many reasons why I'm not compatible with Texas. You know, I'm a Laker fan, number one. I don't like football. I don't like football. I knew so I have nothing to do with the Cowboys. You know, the two Mexican guys are hitting it off right now. Yeah, that's right. And I don't like Tex-Mex. Emilio, I'm doomed. Do you ever wear boots? No. Yes. How do you feel about that now, Oscar? Oh, I mean, he's not perfect. <laughs> there goes your union. Boots do give you a, a sense of authority. Isn't yeah. that true, Oscar? I feel authoritative right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see Oscar in a cowboy hat, though. That would really I've got one upstairs. I may not have ordered a Stetson. I've got one upstairs that we used in oh, the television room when I got oh, shot by Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> All right, friends, let's get down to business. But before that, well, this is kind of business. Ray Comfort's book, Banana Man. <laughs> Ray, why in the world? No, why do you have to say it like that? (laughs) (laughs) Why would anyone write a book called Banana? I don't know. But it's an intriguing story. It really is. God glorifying. Yeah, subtitle, the true story of how a demeaning nickname opened amazing doors for the gospel. 
Ray, you hated bananas for a long time. Oh, yes. For years, I wouldn't touch one. Funny. As I said that, I looked at that monkey holding a banana right behind Ray. <laughs> Good timing. <clears throat> it's not a real monkey. Yeah. No. Check it out, friends, at livingwaters.com. All right. We brought Emilio here for a reason. Not just because he's Mexican like Oscar, and we love Mexican people. Not just because he has the most perfect hair I think I've ever seen in my life. Bro, how do you get the hair like that? God gave it to me. Yes. You wake up in the morning with it like that? It's it's an anointing. (laughs) It's beautiful. (laughs) But we brought Emilio on today because we're going to be hitting a a very important and relevant subject. Uh, We're going to be talking about technology uh, and how it will challenge our faith. Emilio, you've been on this kick now for a while. It's hard to talk to you without bringing this stuff up. But yeah, technology, man, it's all the rage these days. And of course, tied in with that is a term you love using called futurism. Yep. So let's jump into it. What is futurism? Yeah, no, for sure. Trying to figure out when I got into talking about futurism. Sounds like a a disease to me. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, (laughs) futurism. And another term is transhumanism. So I I have to, maybe I should throw that out there because I'm going to be using it. So you might as well define that. We'll We'll talk more about it. Yeah, that's right. But futurism is kind of a big general umbrella term to talk about a kind of a philosophy of certain leading scientists, futurists, people that are developing technology that are kind of predicting what our lives are going to be like in the future. You mean like Muskinites? Yeah, Elon Musk is definitely a futurist. Probably somebody who's a little bit more philosophical would be somebody like Yuval Noah Harari and also Ray Kurzweil. Probably the, the chief futurist would be Kurzweil, who's right now the leading engineer at Google. And Ray Kurzweil makes certain predictions. He's written a couple books. He wrote one book called The Age of Intelligent Machines, and then he followed that book up by The Age of Spiritual Machines. And The Age of Spiritual Machines is probably more provocative because he gives a couple dates. They're the two titles for his chapters, 2029-2099. I don't know why he he didn't just round up, but he he chose 2029 (laughs) and 2099. And in each one of those chapters, you know, he predicts what our futures are going to be like, in those around those years. Yeah. Does he have reputation? Is he a proven prophet? Yeah, he actually has actually in that book, The Age of Spiritual Machines, he has a chapter dedicated or at least a big section of a chapter where he kind of documents previous predictions that he made regarding technology and how they've all come to pass. Yeah. And so, you know, Ray Kurzweil is is making some pretty outlandish predictions that when you read them, you're like, oh, come on. Maybe just one would be that by around 2030, brain implants will be ubiquitous in the culture. So kind of uh, what they're called is uh, brain-machine interface implants. You know, I remember when, I think it was on, maybe it was on Shark Tank or something, someone came up with this idea of implanting a phone, like, inside your <laughs> inside your skull or something. Oh, perfect. Yeah, he read I, the book. I, I remember thinking, oh, that's insane. You know, and everyone laughed at him and yeah. stuff. But we're starting to see some of this, you know. A lot of people already get they already get ringing in their ears, so it's <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. I mean, phones are pretty much glued to the ear. But some of this stuff. I mean, Mark, you remember the Jetsons growing up? Oh yeah, yes. loved, loved, loved the Jetsons, and then after that, it was the Flintstones. So you go from one time <laughs> in the past. So how come you haven't sung the theme easy? That's what you the used to. You can't remember it. Jetsons. I don't That's remember it. What it was. You got it. Astro, the dog. That's yeah. I but Mark, that used to be like futuristic. Now that's right. almost like ancient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember I'd, you'd see them talking to people on a TV and it's like, yeah, right. That'll ever happen. Now we're carrying it around in our pockets. So true. You know? 
There's actually uh, quite a bit of, so futurists and transhumanists, which I know we're going to get into in a later episode, talk often about where the ideas come from in scientific advancements and they link they leak sci-fi to their inspiration. So often like the ideas come from old episodes of Star Trek, of the Jetsons, those things. It's like through our imaginations, we create these ideas for technology. And then later on, that's the thing that motivates the direction of our research and our funding, which then it's, it's almost kind of self-prophetic. You know, I've always wondered that, like, what is it that influences what, you know, is it the ideas that are kind of burgeoning or is it, that, you know, sci-fi comes up with something and then we try to match that. It really is. Like a lot of guys go back to Philip, old Philip K. Dick books, which is he's like the godfather of, of sci-fi because uh, he was writing about technology that's coming to be now. I mean, he was writing about androids and robots and things of that yeah, nature brilliant. back in the 70s. <laughs> Must have been an Arab. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> Emilio. Arab. Oh, by the way, that's what really strengthened our bond when I realized ah, you got some Arab in I you, brother. <laughs> He's a combination of us two, that's actually. Right. He's got Arab yeah. and Mexican. Mutt. Okay. <laughs> a lesser. I was going to say, say best of both worlds. Mutt. Yeah. A mutt will do. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Emilio, break it down, brother. What is futurism? We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, a $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. Futurism is, it's kind of both now and in the future, right? I mean, we're experiencing it right now. We never thought there was going to be a time when we'd be using supercomputers. You know, a $1,000 computer is going to be the computing power of a 1,000 human brains. But that's where we're at. And it's only going to advance from there. The futurist agenda or the futurist philosophy is all about getting technology more integrated into your life. I guess that's the easiest way that I could say it is if you notice the Apple events, I'll give you just one example that everybody could probably relate to. But remember, there was a time when Tim Cook would come out, you know, of course, Steve Jobs originally, but Tim Cook will come out, he'll announce the next cell phone, or all of a sudden there's a tablet, and we've never seen such a thing, or there's a smartwatch, right? But if you're really paying attention here lately, it's not so much about the next gadget. They're not really inventing new gadgets right now. What they're telling you is that what your gadgets can now do. So now there's an app that tracks how you walk, how you sleep, whether or not your elderly parents fall over in the house when you're not there. The recent Apple event announced that your new apps are going to be able to determine if you were in a car accident. So they call 911 for you. Oh Those goodness. kinds of things. So yeah. it's now it's about the, the technology, not so much becoming a tool that you use as much as it becomes something that becomes part of you. Yeah. So there's coming this kind of this level where technology becomes so integrated in our lives that we can't, in a sense, live without it. And I think that's what the futurists are saying, ultimately, is that we're going to become so integrated, we're going to merge. You know, Ray Kurzweil coined the phrase, or 
most people believe that he coined the phrase technological singularity, mm -hmm. right? He wrote a book in 2005, I think it is, The Singularity is Near. And for Ray Kurzweil, the singularity refers to that time when man and machine will become indistinguishable. Right. So do you think it's good or bad? Do I think it's good or bad? It's amoral, right? I mean, technology is not a moral issue. I mean, having a computer on the tip of your fingers, that's not a moral issue. You're neither good nor bad because you have a, a supercomputer you know, by way of a smartphone or something like that. Obviously, it's what you do with it. You know what I mean? Nuclear technology is neither good nor bad. I mean, we use it to either heat or cool our homes or we use it to destroy the planet. I mean, it's up to us. So it's kind of in interesting. But the word technology, it comes from the two Greek words, techne and lagos, which means the study of tools or the study of crafts or art. Even techne was a sy synonymous in the ancient world for art. And so what you do with the tool, what you do with the craft, what you do with your art, it's up to you. you know, it could be oh, good or bad. I love technology. Absolutely yeah. love it. In fact, I have no idea how the Amish people do it. I just praise the, the one Lord. reason why you're not Amish. One brick at a time. Yeah, in that world. But Ray, I mean, you love technology. And what amazes me, you're nearing 73, but you keep up. I mean, you're using stuff constantly. You're, you're editing now. You're, you know, always doing stuff on your iPad. You love technology. Absolutely love it. Um, I can write a book 10 times quicker than what I used to by just dictating into my iPad. It blows oh, me away wow. how good it is at picking up even my accent. I it can understand what even you can't understand. You know, <laughs> and I mean? absolutely love it. I feel like the guy from Napoleon, I love technology. <laughs> Let me take a step back real quick because you used a word singularity that I want to make sure we define well. And because there's actually several different definitions of singularity. And then I want to ask you an important question. So first, singularity used one definition, which is the difference uh, of not being able to tell the difference between man and machine. That is one version of singularity. Another aspect of singularity is a sort of event horizon. So some people will talk about this singularity as though we, technology will get to a place where it'll utterly change what it means to be human. And basically what they're saying is it's like Event horizon, if you think about it like a wormhole, we call it event horizon when the light can no longer escape. It's not that it ceases to exist. It's that we can't see beyond that point. Or another way of looking at it is like if you see a ship sail off into the sunset, at some point it crosses over the horizon. It doesn't cease to exist. We just can't see what's going on over there. Not so if you're a flat earther. Right. <laughs> so That's singularity from a technological aspect is that moment in history, in the future, there's debate as to when, where technology will advance so much that we cannot comprehend what it will look like to live in this world or to be human in that space. It's like so beyond our comprehension. That's another way of looking at uh, singularity. And in our next episode on transhumanism, I'm sure we can get into what it means to create ultra machines. Yeah. But with all that said, I wanna ask you this. I think Easy kind of alluded to it. What's the problem? Hmm. What I mean by like, not so much transhumanism, because we talk about that later, but what's the problem right now? Like you just mentioned some things that if I'm being honest, that sounds pretty great. I have a, you know, <laughs> 90 year old grandma that lives with me. I want to know when she falls. Yeah. I've got an Apple watch on me right now. I want to know how I'm doing with my calorie intake. What's the problem? The fact is that you stole the watch. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. What's the problem, Emilio? Hey, you got a problem? <laughs> You got a problem? Bro. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And the answer to that question is that that's what complicates the issue, is that there is no problem with it. And I think what's interesting about that is that 
we can see that there's no problem with the kind of technology that we're using. We don't need to go any further in technology to get to the place where we're at right now, that we've reached a point through technology that there's kind of these cultural shifts that are happening. No one's paying attention. But I'll give you an example. Robert Downey Jr., he hosted a original YouTube series called The Age of AI. And one of the episodes features a artificially intelligent machine Mm. that they fed movie scripts into this machine by the thousands. Just random movie scripts? Just random movie scripts, whatever it is. And then through an algorithm, the machine produced its own movie script. (laughs) Stop. Now, this would be all funny, funny and, you know, this would be all fun and games if Hollywood weren't spending thousands of dollars to then take the AI script and act it out in a real studio, and which they've done. And then what they're saying is that the AI is actually telling society something about society. And the film that they actually sampled, the AI is telling us that humanity is too masculine. Stop. Yuck. And that that is the takeaway lesson from the AI. Wow. And so these are did the... They, did they feed any Christian movie scripts? In there? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't, put unpopular in yeah. there. Put, put uh, 180 and, you know... <laughs> feed them in, brother. Banana man. DeMille. Mark, real quick. But I mean, that changes things. Does this creep you out, Mark? When you hear this stuff... Nothing creeps Mark out. <laughs> Does it in He'd any way? He'd have to merge with machines to oh, get I'd love out. to see Mark merged with a machine. <laughs> Isn't he already? Yeah, yeah well... Possibly. Rap creeps you out, doesn't it? Oh, I can't stand rap. <laughs> Yo, what's up? What's going on? I'm your homie Easy from Lebanon. Yeah, whatever. I absolutely love technology. I'm not freaked out by it in the slightest. I was on my way driving to work here, you know, and I uh, said, hey, Siri, shuffle songs by uh, the Master's Seminary on uh, Spotify. And just at my disposal there, I'm able to listen to him after him after him, you know, with the Gettys and and whatnot. And then from there, I go over to a Bible app and I listen to a portion of scripture. And then I open up uh, my Kindle app or something audible. And I'm able to learn continually. I want to redeem the time. And I think that's what technology has uh, done for me. But at the same time, uh, the danger that is attached to that is that we feel every second with noise. Yeah. You know, Jesus said, come aside and rest a while. There has to come a place where we are still, and he shows us that he is God, that we have that Selah moment, that we are meditating through Scripture, that we are slow to speak, quick to listen, with pen in hand and Bible before us, mm-hmm. right? We, we just, we're so quick to just go, 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 and we have no message mm-hmm. once, once we get there. I try to make it my continual practice that before I leave in my car. Once I get into my car, I just pause and I take in everything that just took place, whether I was at a grocery store, whether I was here, and I just kind of pause. What went right? What did I do wrong? How could I have improved that situation? And I think that that's a healthy place to be, to slow down. I remember when we had, was it Google Glass? Mm -hmm. Uh, Way way back when you could wear the glasses. What a catastrophe that that ended up being. Oh boy, it was like a multi-billion dollar catastrophe. But the idea is that that's right. Technology is amoral, right? It, that, that there's nothing intrinsically wrong with it. And we want to use it before it uses us. And that's going to be dangerous for children, right. especially, right. because they become the new babysitter for our kids. Mm. And we don't know 
what they are looking at. And every nanosecond, they are taking in 10,000 forms of information. And with one click of a button, they're heading in the wrong direction. Because every decision we make, it balances on a razor's edge, somebody once said. Yeah. Be careful what you have. I continually and regularly will go through the apps on my phone, and I just delete. I have zero games on my phone. They're, they're all taken off. I have continual reminders to do things. In fact, inside my office... How long is this going to go? <laughs> in fact, I have a, a piece of paper in my office where it's called impulses. Mm-hmm. That when I have an impulse to maybe check social media or to do something outside of the task that is before me, I mark a little line on there that says impulse. And then if I reject that impulse, I have another category that says rejected. So I can stay on task to what I'm doing. Did you come up with that? Or do you know that? I I read that inside of a book, a uh, a secular book on procrastination. And I get so much more accomplished because we're filled with impulses to get off of the track. Yeah. Okay, Emilio, I I want you to get back to that. But Ray, real quick, have you seen in your life, as much as you love technology, downsides? Like I could see one downside for people is that they don't memorize scripture as much because it's so easy to look up a verse you know, on your phone and just get in a heartbeat. You like mentioned that. before so many I, I meet that I say, you're reading the Bible. I say, oh, I get a promise sent to me each day on my phone mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah. You know, it's not a proper meal. It's just like a little pick and I think there's something wrong here and there certainly is. It's a sample at Costco. We, we need to be careful with that, that what we feast on, that our diet has to be the word of God and it's not enough to just read the Bible. We have to understand the proper context of what the Bible is saying. We have to open up commentaries and lexicons and Greek helps and Hebrew helps. We, we have to go through the word, but the word has to go through us. And it has to be our continual desire to search me and try me, see if there be any wicked way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. And I want to make sure that what I'm learning is glorifying to God, glorifying to Christ, right? It's not what comes in, but what comes out that defiles a man. So we have to be careful. I've been thinking about what you said, Emilio, about yeah. those scripts being fed into that computer or whatever it was. Yep. If they're Hollywood scripts, they're poison. It's just going to come back with poison. Yeah. And it did. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. okay, Emilio, so pick it up. Uh, sure. Oscar asked a question. Okay, what's the problem with that? I want you after that to get into- No, that's good. To kind of get into what are some of the trends and developments we need to look at in, in technology, how sophisticated has it gotten really? Mm-hmm. But yeah, what's the problem? What's the problem with where technology I guess one dangerous? of the problems that we're seeing is that technology is right now at a shifting point where we can shift our or we can shape our technology. If you have a smartphone, you know, you can put your apps wherever you want them, you can adjust your home screen. I call this the age of ultra customization. Mm-hmm. Right? You can customize your your watch, your home screen, you know, those kinds of things. But we're experiencing right now is the shift from uh, customizing our technology to our technology customizing us. Mm. Where now, uh, for example, in the same series, Robert Downey Jr. talks about technology giving us feedback all day, telling us when we're in the right mood and state of mind. So wow. now our technology is going to start informing us that we're not in the right mood or state of mind, that it's detected some anomaly in our behavior. So now the technology is predicting to us what are the kind of states that we should be in throughout the day. Okay, these are just the subtle yeah. ways that technology so can we become, very quickly... we ultimately become controlled by the technology versus yeah. using it as a tool. We exactly. become its tool. Exactly, and yeah. I talked to one guy who pointed out uh, the issue of dominion 
and how in the original creation order, man was to have dominion over the world, over the creatures and things like this, but that what is happening now through this technological shift is that we're going to come under the dominion of the tech, Mm. right? That the tech will essentially, just like that film, the tech is telling us you're too masculine. You need to (laughs) remove masculinity from the culture and those kinds of things. So it has sociological effects. There's a lady, her name is Susan Greenfield. She wrote a book called Mm. Mind Change. And in this book, 2015, she talks about one of the sociological effects of technology has been a discernible, measurable change in the play of children. Where in the in, what? In the play of children. Hmm. Where in, even in society, the laughter, outdoor laughter of children oh, has yeah. diminished. Yeah. Because children are now on their tech. They're looking at a screen all day, or they're on a smartphone, or they're watching a cartoon, or something like that. Yeah. But it's, it's like beyond where, when we grew up, you yeah. know what I mean? We, we were Sunday morning cartoons or Saturday morning cartoons, right? Now it's like these kids are strapped to this technology. I was going through the airport just the other day, and a, there's, a, there's a mom pushing a stroller with a giant iPad strapped to the <laughs> stroller so that the baby is looking at this yeah. iPad the entire time. Wow. And we say, well, that's just keeping the baby quiet. But it is a sociological issue. You are affecting the brain of that baby. 100%. You're conditioning that baby. So I like that you kind of started by saying like it's going to affect us, but then you ended on it is affecting us. And I think you're absolutely right. I, I think the time has long passed where technology is shaping us rather than us shaping technology. I'll give you another. And here's the thing is that we as Christians living in a technological world can't assume that just because we're Christians that we're not susceptible to this issue as well. I'll give you one example. I think technology has turned us into over-political creatures to the point where technology tells us that the place that we live is somehow dictated by the way that that state votes. So that when somebody walks around, we've talked about this before, somebody walks around California and they're like, uh, so democratic here. (laughs) They believe that because they're on their phones all the time. When I leave my house and walk out the door and I see a palm tree and I see the ocean and I see kids playing on on the street, there's nothing democratic about that. There's nothing (laughs) Republican about that. It's just simply the experience that God wants me to live in in the present moment. So in other words, technology has turned us into over-political creatures where we are always living through a political lens or through a social media lens. We're always like... Alan Noble says in his book, Disruptive Witness, which if you want to understand how to evangelize into a technological age, Disruptive Witness is a phenomenal book to read. But he makes this point. He says, technology has even changed the way we we experience our environment when we're not involved with technology. So he says, think about like right now, if you go on a hike and you come across a waterfall, that is God's creation in which he wants you to enjoy it. But because we live in a technological age, we look at that waterfall and we think to ourselves, what filter should I use to take this picture? How many likes will I get from this waterfall? So now all of a sudden technology is imprinting itself on our regular daily basis when we're not even trying to interact with it. It's changed the way we look even at nature, Yeah, right? It it, it conditions your mood. It conditions your decision-making and eventually it will condition your identity. Yeah, right, right. How much do you think this is by design? You know, we often quote what Ephesians says about Satan, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. I think the part of the prince of the power of the air has been taken out of context, but he is the one who works in the sons of disobedience. 
do you think that this is knowingly by design by man or is this does this have demonic i really don't know but what i do know is that man is evil by nature and anything he puts his hand to it it veers towards darkness rather than light so that's what makes me nervous about technology but have you got have you guys heard of apple translate yeah it's fantastic i just heard about the other day you can take any language speak into your phone and it'll come back audibly in that language so you can witness to people that's where i think technology is wonderful oh, easy man. you should try your fake mexican <laughs> see what it comes <laughs> back it make well, it blow up. well can i bring up a controversial issue here because we I don't think, do that i think we i think we all have a futuristic eschatology here at this table mm-hmm. part of what i'm doing and part of what i've been working on in this whole this whole discussion here of technology the future of apologetics is eschatology I'm trying to explain to people what that means. Could you define eschatology? Eschatology is a yeah. study of end times. Okay. But eschatology includes a lot more than just the timing of Jesus' return. Is there a rapture? Is there a millennium? You know, those kinds of things. Technology has to do with whether or not you have a soul. Technology has to do with the afterlife. Technology has to do with human advancement through, let's say, a resurrection, right? I'm reading a very popular book in this whole discussion called The Transhumanist Reader by Max and Natasha Vita Moore. Mm. And Max Moore makes the case that through technology, eventually we'll experience things like digital resurrections. Mm. And throughout the entire transhumanist reader, you have these transhumanists, the cutting edge transhumanists, and they're all using eschatological language. They're all using language of entering a new world, advancing to a new humanity, that we will enter into a glorious state. I mean, I have the entire thing marked up. And I, everywhere I know where they use eschatological language, language almost akin to worship. Hmm. Max Moore even talks about alchemy, and he talks about the 13th and 18th century alchemists, that their pursuit of the elixir of life or the philosopher's stone, which again has to do with life extension and stuff like that, that that has in common with the, the modern-day transhumanists who are pursuing uh, some sort of life extension technology yeah. <laughs> to give ourselves immortality in some way, right? right? And so it's really fascinating how that works. But eschatology is going to become very important for us to convey to people that no matter how real virtual reality feels and looks and seems, okay, that that is not eternal life, that that is not their ultimate goal or purpose in this life, is to achieve some sort of ideal virtual state. So we just use another word uh, that we'll have to stop and define, which is transhumanism. But I think as sort of a teaser, because our next episode is going to be on exactly that transhumanism. So what we'll do instead of defining that word, because that's a big loaded word, uh, we'll, we'll use it as a teaser. Right. Yeah. So next yeah, yeah, episode, yeah, yeah. we're going to get into what it means when we talk about transhumanism, future state, transfer of consciousness, which all things that you're starting to allude to. And to bring it back to like where we're at right now, again, to borrow from Alan Noble, because we talk about like, how does I love the title of this? How will technology change your faith? I would I would say how challenge. has challenge your faith challenge? How has <laughs> technology challenged our faith? I think it's a conversation we're all going to have. Uh, we're going to be standing around as Christians in the commons of the church. We're going to be in the hallways and in the fellowship hall, in the middle of our living rooms and over our dinner tables, having the discussion on technology. Over coffee? Over coffee, <laughs> at Starbucks, whatever, in the virtual world. But I think it's going to be, there's going to come a point in time, for example, where you'll be sitting with, standing or whatever with your kids, and you're going to have the discussion about VR. Yeah. You're absolutely going to. You're going to sit here and go, wait a minute, but do I really want this level of intrusive technology in my home? Yeah. 
And then your kids are going to come right back with what's wrong with it. And boy, let me just say that this is such a, a crucial point of reflection for Christians because we have to say no to a, to a lot of things that are coming. And yeah. that's huge. But Mark, I'd like you to, to address this because one of the things that I think a lot of people, especially when we're sharing the gospel, and sometimes these things come up uh, that are just kind of sort of disgusted by is a whole conspiracy theory kind of spirit and attitude. How do we guard against that while while having to deal with some of this? Because honestly, some of the things that, that I've been hearing in this realm as I've been exploring it sounds very conspiratorial, you know, like this is conspiracy. You know, listen, you, you have to decide what hill you want to die on, right? There, there's not a lonelier moment, somebody once said, in a person's life to climb up uh, the mountain, get to the top, only to realize you spent your whole life, time, talent, and treasure to realize that you climbed the wrong mountain, right? I, I have a friend whose father is heavy into conspiracy theories. And I, and I just said, listen, I just don't care, to, uh, by and large, to a lot of those things that uh, he, he's dealing with. If you're going to die on a hill, make sure it deals with that which truly matters. Fight the good fight. There's so many fights. There's so many battles that we can fight. I want. I just choose with my limited amount of time that I have left here on earth to focus in on the, the person of Christ, focus in on the gospel, focus in on the sufficiency of scripture, and let everything else kind of fall by the wayside. I just don't have a lot of time uh, to give over to other elements. If somebody wants to do that, you know, hey, listen, God bless you. I, I'm not going to judge you by what you want to do. I'm just saying, for as for me and my house, I just don't have the time to fight battles that are unnecessary in the direction that I'm heading. I only can carry so much weight inside on my shoulders or information inside my head. So I want to keep things as simple as I possibly can. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's not to say that I don't enjoy dabbling here and learning about something there or seeing what somebody has said concerning something, but boy, I think we just need to be careful to keep the main thing, the plain thing, and the plain thing, the main thing. Yeah. I've got to jump in here. If you're going to die on a hill, make sure there's a cross on it. I want to know why there's always a hill people are dying on. That's why I really want to die in a valley. That's why Amelia moved to Texas. I just got totally run over by You're right about that. There are no hills in Texas. Guys, let me say again, if you're going to die on a hill, make sure there's a cross Amen. on it. Thank Amen. you. Well, I, wait, wait, wait. Explain that, right? Yeah. Anything outside the gospel is a waste of time for the church. Look at the book of Acts. They could have got caught up in all sorts of things that, was going on, that were going on in Rome. They probably had their modern technologies and things, political issues they could fight for, but they stayed with the gospel because our agenda is to save people from God's wrath by God's grace. And that's the message we're to preach, and we mustn't get distracted. Amen. You know, Ari Tori said, the sole reason why men are Christians are left here on this planet is to win men to the acceptance of Jesus Christ. Everything else is subservient to that main point. Yeah, and I want to, real quick, Oscar, I want to head toward an end on this, because obviously everything we're talking about ties into what do we do about it? How do we as Christians respond, ultimately, for the sake of the gospel? But Oscar, unless you had something else to say, I wanted it to ask you this. So how do we start to think biblically? about futurism and technology. That's good. I think as Emilia has been doing is to is to keep yourself somewhat informed. And let me say this is to allow the idea of these things to affect the way we do discipleship. Because I know that it can be like the way that that Emilio, some of the things that Emilio mentioned seems so far into the future. But as we've been trying to allude to, there's also a real present right here and right now moment. I'll give you one example that will that should help us 
understand how to disciple. So right now there, there is a virtual reality. And right now today, there are quote unquote churches that are meeting in VR. And they're basically saying to you, put on your VR glasses and go to church. You don't have to leave the comfort of your own home. And so very real discipleship moment is coming up where someone's going to say to you, I don't go to church anymore because I do it on VR. And Ray, you alluded to something earlier that I think is absolutely right. We are in a fallen state and anything that we create is a derivative of perfection. And so when we try to create our own VR church, it is a derivative. It is something lesser than what God designed for us because church is meant to be communal and community doesn't just happen online. We know what it looks like. Social media is not social. It's the most anti-social thing out there. In that same way, we can't have discipleship or church on VR. That's something we have to do in both in both our bodies and in spirit, right? That happens in the real world. And so I think, especially as leaders of the church, we need to be aware of how to disciple through the way these technologies are going to change how we do life and make sure that we continue to point people towards how God intended for us to live, because that is the only way we will find truth, beauty, and goodness in this world. You know, Emilio, I don't want people to forget that you're a pastor. I mean, you know, you're talking about these things, you're, you're very deeply informed about them, but you're, you're living out the ramifications of these things in the lives of the people that you're called the shepherd, and you're also having to, to answer questions and to give guidance. So what do we do? How do you guide God's people in dealing with this in terms of the challenges well, with if I can, these technologies. Do, do we have enough time for me to disagree with Mark Spence? <laughs> Please, your next won't time. be the first time. Yeah, nine eleven passed, and September twelfth came. Yeah. The White House issued an executive order thirteen nine eight five. President Biden put out a statement, official statement. Well, he didn't probably couldn't read it, but anyway, a statement was issued by the White House. The opening summary statement of that executive order stated that we're heading in the direction of bioengineering and, quote, we will program human cells the way we program computer software. Is that actual language? That's the actual language. From it. Yeah. So for the first time in our lives, our government has told us we're getting into the area of bioengineering. But, but Emilio, it, it must be under some sort of cover of like, hey, this is for medical purposes. Of course. They're not coming out and saying, hey, yeah, we're I have a whole section. You. I'm currently working on a book on this entire thing. You know, I should say that because I'm going to keep referring to it in my brain anyway. But, you know, in compiling all this data, I have a whole section called Miracle Tech that as we think about acceptance, how is this futurism? How are, how are these radical things? How is bioengineering? How is literally we're going to be programming cells? What are you talking about? How is this all going to be accepted in the culture? It's going to be accepted in a culture, for example, when miracle tech starts taking place. Yeah. Uh, and by miracle tech, I'm talking about giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, ability for amputees to walk again, okay, ultra-intelligent prosthetics, and things that will blow your mind that already exist, right? The MIT professor, Tim Herr, who came out to the stage of the TED Talk and said, I want to be a cyborg. Yeah, right. I because, saw that. Right, because I want to be a what? A cyborg. cyborg. A cyborg. I thought you said a sidewalk. Yeah. So, <laughs> so 
not to, so only pushing back on what Mark said a little bit in the sense that we're getting very, very quickly, we're getting to the place where as much as Christians may want to focus on the things we enjoy in terms of communion with God, and we should, so Mark's not wrong, but we're going to get to the point where, yeah, we can console him a little bit. We're going to get to the point, guys, where as Christian apologists, we're not going to have a choice but to combat and address this issue. And so what I'm saying is that we need kind of the new Schaeferians to step out into the into the stage of Christian apologetics and say, we're going to have foresight so that in the next 25 years, if Ray Kurzweil's theory of accelerated returns is real, meaning that we reach certain thresholds where technology comes back to us and puts us, you know, Vince Verge, I think, is the guy who coined the, the term event horizon, where we get to the place where technology, we can't go back from it that the Christian church is prepared. We're not reacting, but we actually have already formed a philosophy for how to deal with our teenagers that are so hyper-addicted to VR that they're finding their identity there, and then they're bringing that identity from the VR world into the PR world, right? The physical world. You know, you're, you're using so language. Anyway. You're using language that's leaving us commoners not knowing what you're talking about. VRs, virtual, uh, virtual reality. reality. PR is, is physical reality. Okay, PR has something to do with well. the press release. Um, <laughs> so seriously, why? How is VR doing that? I'm I'm at a college twice twice a day, and I see kids on their phone. Is that considered VR, or is it when they're looking at those? That's AR. Oh, yeah. So anything so. on your phone and things like that would be considered augmented reality. Okay, VR so we'll... is virtual reality. Like Oscar talked about the metaverse, right? I just delivered a lecture for a conference for Peter Jones, and my lecture was entitled The Metaverse, Personal Identity, in the Image of God, because all of those things are intertwined. So it has a lot to do with kind of like right now people have a social media profile, and they have kind of an identity there, right? They have to upload their pictures and they're doing stuff and you kind of know them by what they're doing on social media. Same thing in the VR world, but it's it opens up a, a realm of possibilities that's yeah. unlike anything we know of so yeah, far. Yeah, and I, I, just, I just wanted to say, because Mark and I are identical twins and share a brain. <laughs> I, knew there Mark, wasn't, I knew there wasn't a whole one in both of you. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. No, but I think Mark, was he was answering the question I asked about conspiracy theories and you know mm, and, the, mm-hmm. and and getting getting sidetracked on stuff like that obviously yep. not the legitimate stuff you're talking about that yep. that touch on on things that are relevant that will yep. apply to the gospel is that right mark I thought yeah, Mark was I, a conspiracy I actually theorist. don't see where we where we're disagreeing, so yeah. I, I have to agree on that. Yeah. I'll, I'm still waiting for him to say something of intelligence <laughs> over the last 46 <laughs> minutes, but especially the last two when yeah. he mentioned my name. Yeah. So I, I would just like to say how encouraged I am by the fact, Amelia, you open air preach at local university yeah, regularly. Yeah. You're not and, just up there with the high tech stuff. Yeah. You, you, no. No. Right. And you're right. And since COVID. I got COVID. It wasn't a big deal, but after COVID, I got pneumonia, hmm. and so COVID messed up colleges and kids weren't even going and stuff. So I stopped open air preaching for that season. And then I got this pneumonia thing, which made it very hard for me to do anything other than preach at church Mm. to save my strength. So I'm actually looking to get back to the college campus because remarkably, right before COVID hit in 2019, that year, for some reason, I'd I'd been there since 2007. But that year in particular, you know, UNT has 40,000 students. And that year in particular, I got the most testimonies of students that came up to me and said, hey, I got saved under your preaching. You know, I was here a couple years ago, and I heard the gospel, and I was converted. I mean, just awesome. And I had just started a Bible study at the campus, so I'd open air for four hours from 12 to 4, and then I'd do a Bible study on the lawn 
And I had 30, 40 <laughs> students coming to the Bible study. Oh, that's great. And then COVID had messed everything up. So I got to get back to that because oh, yeah, please I, I have a huge heart for the, for, yeah, for the kids and, out and, there. Yeah, you know? and you know, you do it effectively, Emilio. Yeah. You could be nicer sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but no, what a, what a joy it is. That, that's, that's one of the, the reasons why I love telling people to get plugged in with your church because it's a church that believes in furthering the gospel. So. Yeah. So this has been great. So much more to come on, on other episodes, friends. But uh, yeah, good stuff. This is important. We need to understand it. And we need to make sure that we, we keep the gospel at the heart of why we're trying to understand it and then what we do with that information. Thank you for joining us, friends. Uh, make sure to check out again, Banana Man and the Evidence Bible at livingwaters.com. Make sure to give us a rating on the different platforms and also subscribe. And to join us here again next time, for the Living Waters Podcast. Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters Podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too, those of you who are listening. Just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters Podcast.